0: I'm Melissa Connor, and I'll be reading Isaiah 66:15 through 24, final judgment and the glory of the Lord. For behold, wait. Before I start, there is a word that some of you may not have heard of before. It's an unusual word: um, dromedaries, and it means um, swift-footed camels, They're very fast camels. For behold, the Lord shall come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pigs' flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts— And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me says the Lord so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath all flesh shall come to worship before me declares the Lord and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me for their worm shall not die their fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh this is the word of the Lord
1: Thank you, Melissa. Our vocabulary is expanding. Good deal. Good to be with you. I hope you are doing well. I want to thank you for your prayers for myself and our daughter, Aubrey. Uh, we traveled, uh, well, it was over a week ago. We were in. We're traveling through Mexico. And uh, my mind is still very much uh, involved in our trip. Um, Our daughter, Aubrey, is at an orphanage in Mexico. Uh, It's called uh, Ayuda de Mano, uh, Helping Hand. And she's there. Just imagine kind of a ranch, uh, like a Texas-type ranch, um, kind of a little bit of a desert-type climate. And uh, it's a small orphanage with about 12 children, six boys and six girls. And it is entirely supported by um, uh, United States churches and... um, it is a privilege to have her there serving. She's there about uh, about a month, and so I was uh, uh, escorting her to uh, to this little um, orphanage, which is south of a town called Ario de Rosales. And uh, we just saw the Lord's hand in our travels, very in a very detailed way. And uh, so she's there and uh, doing well. So it's a privilege to to be back and uh, and to be among you. Well, we are uh celebrating Pentecost as we as has been mentioned in the service, uh, Pentecost is a day that actually in Greek means fiftieth and this is the fiftieth day since uh, since Easter and uh, this coincided with the the bringing in of of, uh, of, of an offering uh, a festival of Israel uh, where they acknowledge for seven Sabbaths uh, God's goodness in the in the grain harvests, and Pentecost syncs up with with the, the, the harvest of the first fruits and thanking God for his blessing. And so the first fruits of, of the ministry of Jesus uh, fall on the day of Pentecost, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, as we think about this moment in uh, the life of the church uh, and our, our lives, will you join me and pray? Let's, let's take a moment and let's ask our Heavenly Father to be with us as we hear his word. And to the risen and to the ascended King Jesus, we pray. We thank you that you are the one who has accomplished our salvation. And it is in that that we rejoice and we lift our hearts to you. Thank you for your gospel. I pray that you will uh, give us an extra measure of your spirit this morning. Uh, Help us to believe uh, that we have been empowered and strengthened for your great purposes Thank you for the life of the church, for the people we're sitting next to, for the, the call upon each of us to join in mission. So thank you for today, and be with us as we, as we hear your word, empower your word to change lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the day of Pentecost. Um, when you were hearing preaching here up at, at, at Trinity in the pulpit here, in the mango pulpit, um, if Nathaniel's preaching, or Brandon's preaching, or I'm preaching, or someone else is preaching, we will inevitably try to find some Old Testament root uh, for you to think about and to uh, to enjoy. And when we think about the Day of Pentecost, it has many connections with what's gone on before. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, there's, there's these pipes underneath your Bible passages. Uh, and they go back to, to what God has promised before. And to grasp that uh, by way of the, the preached word is very, very important so you know what story you're in. You know where you are. And um, to sort of illustrate uh, the importance of figuring out where I am in the story, which I really think is Sunday after Sunday, I need to be reoriented in my own life. Where am I um, in this confusing world and life and things I thought I could plan better and things just happen and I get confused? I am like you. Where am I in the story? Now, to illustrate that, uh, I want to take you to um, a place in Rome, Italy. And uh, uh, if you've ever been to the Sistine Chapel, if you haven't been to the Sistine Chapel, you have to put this on your bucket list. Uh, you have to see the Sistine Chapel, and to see the Sistine Chapel, it's this, this amazing uh, building that houses uh, about 300 portraits, uh, biblical imagery. Uh, it's all uh, done by Michelangelo, who was not a painter. Uh, his first passion, his first passion was sculpting, but when the Pope asks you to do something, I guess you're supposed to say yes. So, he he painted, and he painted this amazing building. Uh, this, this, these amazing portraits inside this, this chapel structure in Rome, in the Vatican there. So I want to take you there. And I want to put you in the middle of this room. And uh, wouldn't it be great for all of us to just charter a plane and go there? Wouldn't that be great? Let's, let's plan it. Some of you who are good at planning, let's go. So we're all there on the Sistine Chapel. And we're looking around and we see these extraordinary pictures. And we see Adam and Eve and then we see the, the forbidden fruit eaten, and we see them fall. We see the shame, the darkness of that one portrait. And then we see the unfolding of the drama. On one side of the walls is the Old Testament, and on the other side is the New Testament. And at the, really at the, the center of the, the room, your eye is drawn to, to Christ, and he's on a cross. And then there's another side of the room where he is presiding over Judgment Day. And to the left are those who are damned and judged. And those on to his right are those who are blessed and enjoying life everlasting. You cannot stand in the middle of the Sistine Chapel without understanding where you are. You're in a story. You are in an unfolding story, and it's inescapable. You have to. You have to grasp it. You're getting it. You're you're understanding it through pictures. You're in this amazing story. And I think it's vitally important for us as Christians today to grasp Sunday after Sunday the story that we are in. Uh, The church has historically thought so highly of the story of redemption that we've actually marked out calendar days like Advent for Christmas, Several weeks, so we don't miss it. Uh, A day called Easter Sunday, so we don't miss the the resurrection of Christ. Backing up a few days, a day called Good Friday, so we don't miss the atonement of Christ on a cross. And so today we are now marking a day called Pentecost. Pentecost. Pentecost is a day that was anticipated. And what Pentecost does, I want you to first grasp this, is that I really would like you to become Pentecostal. And some of you are struggling. I, I, I thought I was trying to be a Presbyterian. <laughs> uh, and now, now, now you want me to become a Pentecostal. Well, the deacons are not going to break out snakes now. Just calm down. <laughs> become Pentecostal. Pentecostal is, I would propose to you, the church empowered for mission. And the church experiencing daily her desperate need for the reigning King Jesus. Pentecost is the day when Jesus poured out evidence that he was the ascended reigning king. He was the promised son of David who would reign over the kingdom. What would be the evidence? The pouring out of the spirit. The first fruits of his kingdom now embodied in his people. The Spirit falls to assure us that we have not been left orphans. We are empowered for mission, and this mission arises out of worship. So my encouragement to you is to become Pentecostal. Become empowered by the Spirit for mission. Now, there are some fancy Bibles uh, in front of you in the little rack on your chair. If you'd like to use those, those are provided for you today. Uh, We're grateful that those are... Are there on page 699? uh, If you'd like to turn there, you'll find the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, 699, the passage that Melissa read for us. And then also, we'll look at Acts chapter 2 briefly, becoming Pentecostal. I think becoming Pentecostal means embracing a new framework, a new framework to live by. You see, in Isaiah, there's something extraordinary happening. There's the promise of a new heaven and new earth. And as Melissa read, uh, actually there, there would be this gathering of people around a, a temple, a, a restored w- worship center. And people will become come flocking to this and they will ride on their swift uh, running camels to get there. I- Isaiah is a devastating book because Isaiah is the one who brings judgment to Israel in the north and Judah in the south and Isaiah is this panoramic prophet who sees the moment that he's living in but also he sees all the way to the end of the age Isaiah comes and he declares the unthinkable. God's people had Experienced, had indulged in such hypocrisy and idolatry and they would not yield to the prophets' warnings, Isaiah promises that the temple itself will be ransacked by unbelievers. And Babylon is mentioned directly by Isaiah and Babylon is the instrument in 586 B.C. that comes And takes out Jerusalem and the temple, it is outrageous. And it is needed, and it is a just judgment. And the people are shocked that this would actually happen. And Isaiah comes with a message of judgment. But as his book unfolds, he also delivers the truth that there will be a remnant who are kept. There will be a people who will be kept and purified and worship will restart again among God's people. A day is coming when I will set a sign among them and I will pour forth my glory and they will see my glory. A day is coming. This now becomes the framework for Pentecost. The framework for Pentecost is that the new heavens and the new earth, spoken about in Isaiah 66, the new heavens and the new earth, verse 22, the new heavens and the new earth now begin to be experienced by the people of God as the Spirit gives us the assurance that we will inherit all these things. The Spirit comes. We are embracing a new framework to live by. You're in the middle of the Sistine Chapel. And you see the story that you are in. And it is not only a story of woe and difficulty and frustration and sin, but it's a story of the overcoming love of God. Surprise, surprise. God is going to restore the worship of his people. And, of course, we know that that worship will happen through the new temple, who is Jesus Jesus openly declared, before the old temple, he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. This will be the means by which people will worship the Father. And it is through the body of Jesus Christ that we now have access to the Father. And all nations, all tribes, all languages, all tongues, all the the world is being impacted through, or finding access to the Father through the body of Jesus, even right now. And so something new is being restored. Something's underway. And this is sort of the one small aspect of the background of the day of Pentecost. Judgment Day is mixed in there in Isaiah 66, and there's good news, and there's the threat of coming judgment. But behold, Judgment Day has been postponed. It's the day of salvation for the world. It's the day of mission. It's the day of hope. It's the day of grace. You see, this is the time in which we live. This is the, how we should re, be reframing our lives. We live in a very special, special moment before judgment arrives. Mm. So if you're not familiar with what happens in Acts chapter 2, there is a, a command by Jesus who says, wait here. Wait, wait, wait. And he promises that they will be empowered to be his witnesses. Acts 1 8. And so they're waiting. Jesus ascends, and then the Spirit falls. Ten days later, the Spirit falls. And they begin to speak the mighty works of God. Acts 2 describes that. That, that fire was placed upon their heads. You'll see it illustrated there in the front of your worship folder. T- uh, tongues of fire. Uh, commentators go back and forth on what this might mean. But they are speaking forth the known languages of the day. And it is the day of Passover when they are gathered around. And they are, there's Jews gathered from all around the known world. And they have their own native tongue, their own language. Likely they also spoke Hebrew. But they are hearing the mighty works of God spoken in their own language. And you'll find there in Acts chapter 2, um, you'll find that the nations themselves or the, the regions that these people are from are all listed there. There's, a, there's many, many of them. And there's a group of people who are watching these people praise God in these multiple tongues. And so it sounds confusing. In other words, you have, let's imagine, 15 different languages spoken at once what that would sound like. And there's a group of skeptics who come along and people who are watching this, and they begin to mock them as if they're drunk. They begin to make fun of them. And Peter steps forth, and he begins to explain what's going on. And to preach his sermon, Peter uses Joel 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Peter, Peter lets them know this is rooted This experience is rooted in what was promised. God had had promised to pour forth his spirit upon all flesh. And the all flesh is represented there in the the various groups that are there assembled uh, in Jerusalem. Central to Peter's message, what you're seeing is the one you crucified. Christ is risen from the dead. And this is evidence that he is indeed the new installed king over the kingdom. You cannot stop his wonders and his signs. You cannot resist his power. He is still working. And what's going on here is essentially these who are believing in Jesus are the purified, in the sense, acceptable worshipers of God. They didn't go through the old temple system. They come boldly and simply through faith in Jesus, and his blood atones for them, and they are purified. Their hearts are lit on fire with love and glory to God. Their offering is acceptable to God. And so what we're watching in Acts chapter 2, what Pentecost is, is a worship service. It's a worship service. Uh, It's a a description of what worship is like in the New Testament. And what is the overflow? The overflow through Peter's preaching is conviction of sin and some 3,000 people are brought to faith in Christ. So what does it mean to be Pentecostal? To be Pentecostal means to be a worshiper. It means to be connected to the risen Christ in worship. It means embracing the sign that Jesus has begun to reign. Acts 2.36, let me read this for you. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That, what is the sign? What is the sign that we are to, to embrace? The sign is that Jesus has begun to reign. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we are embracing the sign. Jesus has begun to reign. He is now extending mercy to the nations, and God is empowering us to speak about this. All flesh, Isaiah 66, is coming to see this sign, this glory. And it is God's people worshiping, the preaching of the word. We are connected vitally to the risen Christ through our worship. Jesus is behind. He's the one who animates our expressions of worship. He is the one who is in our midst So, the sign is held forth to people who don't believe. When we gather in our worship, we are holding forth to those who do not yet believe. We're holding forth evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Of course, we can't do this by ourselves, but this is what we do in the power of the Spirit. Jesus has been vindicated, and he is reigning and so the church is gathered. It is more than just a Bible study. It is more than just a preaching center of the church. It is more than just songs for worship. The church is a, is a collection of blood-bought people who are now involved in mission, empowered by the Spirit of God, individually gifted, growing, learning together, but ultimately we are partnering with God through the Spirit and engaged in mission. And, of course, we need God's presence desperately to do that. So to become Pentecostal really means to become a worshiper of the living God and uh, to embrace that, to embrace that. And then, lastly, to embrace, really, a, a new community. What God is doing is he's forming a new community people for himself. It's the surprising news of the New Testament is that the Jews will merge with Gentiles, and the Gentiles will merge with Jews, and there will be one people of God. And the church is a collection of people of all races and all languages and all tongues. The church is a transnational, trans-tribal entity. We are holding forth to people what it looks like to be part of the new heaven and the new earth. Scotty Smith, a uh, pastor in Tennessee, he described the church as, as sort of like a, a model home. Uh, you know how in a, in a suburban development, they have the model home you're supposed to go to and the really, really nice one that's all put together, right? Well, we're the model home in a, in a, in a suburb or a model home in an a urban redevelopment area. We're, we're that model home. So you're a big deal. Uh, you, you, God is, is, wants you to, to be on display. And, uh, and you have what the world needs. The world needs community. The world needs worship. The world needs to be connected vitally to the risen Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with an illustration. And uh, this is not about a building or a chapel in Rome, but this is about a person who once worshipped here with us. And if there's anyone who was a Pentecostal Presbyterian, this is the one. Uh, Some of you know her. Her name is Sarah Jones. And uh, Sarah lives now in Vacaville, which is near Sacramento. But I want to tell you a bit about her because she illustrates The point, the big point of this sermon. When uh, years ago, Sarah was part of our worship team, she had a beautiful voice. And I remember attending a worship rehearsal one time. This is the first, well, this is the first impression I want to give you of what it was like to be around Sarah. She was practicing a song with the worship people, so she's reading her music, she's nursing a child. And she's kicking a ball to her son, who's in the one of her sons, who's in the front row. So if you are a multitasker, wait—you should meet Sarah. And she would also, after church, she would bring her running shoes, and her family would drive home, and she would run home. And she she entered the Boston Marathon and other marathons while she was uh, here, and then uh, other places around the United States. Well, one day Sarah came up to me, and she said, "I have an idea." and I'd like you to come to a meeting at my house. And she kind of gave me a sketch of what it was. And she goes, please bring elders and deacons, and please, you know, I I, I got an idea. So she ran the idea by me. And I said, well, that sounds, yeah, that sounds fine. Sure, okay. So we all gathered at the Joneses' house. And uh, she looked over at me, and she said, okay, we got a preacher, and then she says, and we've got some elders." And we've got some deacons. Now, the rest of you folks, there's about 15 people there in the room. The rest of you folks, I want to talk to you. Now when Joel, chapter two, is brought into Acts chapter two, when women are given the gift of prophesying, watch out. Because she came to me and she asked for permission to speak. And here's what she did. She said, okay, we got the pastor over here, we got the elders over here, we got the deacons over here. Now I want to talk to the rest of you. We're on a mission. And there are new people coming to this church. And I want to know what is our plan is, to, plan is to welcome them. And I want to know who knows who and what's going on and how are we going to do it. So let's talk. And she says, we got to own this ministry. Let's make it happen. I'm sitting back and I have never seen anything like this. Let's do it. Let's get going. So what are your ideas? And of course she had ideas. (laughs) And it became their ministry. She was a spirit-inspired, mission-minded, Pentecostal woman. In our midst. Meaning, she's tracking with the risen Christ. We've got something to say. We've got something to do. We've got people to unfold. We've got to connect with the purposes of God for why we're here. Now, to do that, you've got to be empowered. Let's see, And part of the problem is we don't know what we don't know. We don't know... That we're not empowered. We're used to not being empowered. And so you have to have an agenda that feels like, whoa, I can't do that. Great, welcome to the club. Whoa, I don't have time for that. Good, neither do I. What, do you, wh- is that a, what are you saying here? Meaning, what are you involved with? What am I involved with? That actually requires the Spirit of God to, me, to empower me. Now, think through. My interest is not just to dump a bunch of guilt on you today. But we are, a, we are an Acts 2 kind of community, empowered or to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And one of the great tasks is to realize we need to be empowered. We need to know how desperate we are for Jesus. Missional living is going to be costly It's going to have to do with our schedule, our time, our intentional planning. But we have the never-ending mercies of God in Christ. I looked out the window of of a bus in Mexico last week. And we just passed through all these little pueblos and all these little towns. And I saw this 10 years ago. And I saw this 20 years ago. And I saw this 30 years ago. This doesn't mean there's nothing going on in these little towns. But they are asleep. They're just folks who love their kids, and they're trying to make a living, and they're harvesting crops, and they have their little shops. But they don't know what they don't know. Pentecost, Pentecost is this day where the, where the world is shaken up. Anyone who encounters a Pentecostal Christian is immediately brought into the Sistine Chapel and they know where they are. And to hang around that person, you know what story they're in and where they move and how they go and what they say. It creates ripples. Something happens. It's Sarah Jones going, okay, what's up? What, what are we going to do? My time matters. This moment matters. People matter. New people to the church matter. Let's, make, let's get a plan. Let's extend the mercy of God. Lest we pursue ecclesiastical consumption. But I just like that preacher's style. I like Bible studies. I like filling in notebooks. Endless topics. I like that style of song. That really, that's my preference. So we live in our preferences. You don't need the Spirit of God for those things. But you need the Spirit of God for a missional movement. What are you doing that requires the Spirit of God? The lady who greeted uh, Aubrey and I at the gate of the orphanage, she was about 24 years old, and the director was in the United States, and we had had a disconnect a bit. They didn't quite know when we were arriving. And the lady who met us at the door, her name was Carla, and there's this gate, and these two gringos and a taxi driver. Hi. Ah. She's looking at us. So she asks about a dozen questions, and then she finally gets it. Her She's originally from Honduras, and she's, she has pretty good English. And the taxi driver, he was very animated, like, whoa, whoa, this is great. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And this young woman, this ministry that is completely dependent upon God to sustain it. She began, as she opened the gate, she understood that Aubrey was there to work for a month. She began to weep. She said that no one has been coming for a long time. The churches in the United States had stopped sending people. They didn't know why. And she said that Aubrey was an answer to prayer. That is dependence on the Spirit of God. A country club church doesn't require the Spirit of God. Just gathering people who are like you. A fortress church doesn't require the Spirit of God. Just avoid the culture. Uh, You can do that without God's Spirit. God's Spirit would oppose that. Or an exciting program church, just keep me interested. Uh, Don't need the Spirit of God for that. We're a model home. We are a model home. And all the homes around us might look really good, but they're falling apart. They don't have any way to sustain themselves. If they don't have the Spirit of God, they're in a very sad story. The taste of the new heaven and the new earth has already come into our room, into this room. And it is this taste of community that transcends this ethnicity, our ethnicity, our personality, our individual economic status, our experience in life, the, the good things that have happened or the bad things that have happened. There is a sense of community among God's people, and the Spirit among us seeks to have us experience deeper and deeper and deeper grace. Otherwise, we will tweak and change the church into something that it is not. And sometimes the grace of God comes in the form of an exhortation, like Sarah Jones did that day. So what are we going to do? What's extraordinary about our status is this. The temple in Jerusalem is a heap of ruins. Tourists go there. I've never been there. But there's a few stones that you can look at and be amazed at I imagine from an archaeological point of view they are fascinating but from a theological and biblical point of view they have already served their purposes you have not come to that old temple that is gone and that is over you have come to the new, restored, what Isaiah saw, the restored Zion, the Temple Mount, the place where the nations will come and gather, and even come and gather on fast-riding camels. You have come to the new Zion, and the book of Hebrews highlights this in chapter 12. You have come to, the, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. We are a model home. We are the gathered place where God is dwelling. We have come to the new Mount Zion. We play an extraordinarily important role in our day. What are we going to do about it? Will we be an enfolding, welcoming for others assembly, existing for people who do not sit in these chairs? This is this lifestyle is described in the Book of Acts, and Pentecost is an expression of what the church is like. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us that all flesh will come before you and that you're calling people to worship you. Father, I pray that you would, you would move among us and that we would indeed become a spirit-driven church and to embody the very life of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we are indeed connected to you, the risen and exalted Jesus Christ. Pray this will encourage people. People will look away from their own strengths, their own abilities. May they get be given hope, Lord. Give hope to your people. Thank you for having compassion on us. Thank you for causing us to be drawn to the new Zion the new collection of people. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.